We are a resource for learners, including every member of the Livestrong Cancer Institute's on-track educational pipeline from middle school to residency. We are a growing collection of interviews, talks, and experiences that uncover the myths and the uncertainties of cancer and careers in cancer in order to empower and inspire generations of thinkers and leaders. This is Cancer Uncovered, an education and empowerment podcast by the Livestrong Cancer Institutes. There is no way that we as healthcare providers can actually begin to deliver culturally competent care unless we start to see people how they see themselves. I think by having these conversations and existing and calling it out, we're doing a lot of work now. There's so much work to be done. Hopefully my future rewards the intersectionality that I bring to the table. What if we realized the best way to ensure an effective educational system is not by standardizing our curricula and tests, but by standardizing the opportunities available to all students? Ibram X. Kendi in How to Be an Anti-Racist. Black Americans and people of color have been victims of systemic racism in academics, medical education, and healthcare for generations. In part one of episode two, UT Austin Dell Medical students, Ciara Brown, Decoye Burton, and Deanna Reese White joined Assistant Professor Brandon Alport Altio to share their experiences with racism. To continue the conversation with part two, we rejoin the group who share their views on what is needed to create a more anti racist society as well as their hopes for the future. We recognize these are difficult conversations, conversations that might make us uncomfortable. But uncomfortable is good. If these conversations make you uncomfortable, I invite you to sit with those feelings for a while, whether it's mental or emotional discomfort or a physical reaction that could be felt through stiffness of shoulders or unease in your gut. Explore these feelings and ask yourself where they might be coming from. Discomfort often provides an opportunity to learn and grow and can lead to true transformation. When the Black Lives Matter hashtag and George Floyd story got very popular on social media, um, a lot of white people were reaching out to me to apologize, um, to ask me how I was doing, um, to see where my head was at, to apologize for what I may be going through right now. And I just immediately was uninterested in the conversation. (laughs) So um, I didn't originally have any conversations with white people regarding this, regarding race. One of the first conversations that I did have um, after seeing lots of people take the social media and calling out their own white privilege and saying that they're going to now read books and they're about to donate and they are taking lots of photos. Um, just very skeptical. Like these, it just seemed like a bunch of grand promises that I didn't even know would happen or not. The only way to make changes is to have those conversations with the people around us and to sort of try to change society on that level. So I wanted to hear from you guys about positive conversations, especially recently, that you've had with white people and about race. How have those conversations gone? What made those conversations positive? And and how do you think you can use that in the future? We have these small groups that we do in our first year of medical school where we learn pathology in a small group setting. And I was in a um, group where um, 
I never got told directly I was being aggressive or something like that, but I very much was criticized with, you know, my tone was off. Like I was being very sassy. We all just need to check our attitude. It was never anything directly to me, but it was lots of language that um, was directed at me when I was just simply talking or expressing myself or, I mean, I didn't think I was doing anything flagrant, but it went on for several weeks and that small group actually brought me a lot of distress. And basically someone would throw that out there and then the entire group would not address it. And so then when it was my turn to speak, I would address that critique and try to press the issue of like, what do you mean tone? What do you mean? I think that this is directed at me and everyone would just kind of look at each other and no one would just say it. What bothered me the most was that after we would leave those groups, there would be a couple of people in the group that would come to me and be like, yeah, I don't know what that was about. Like, you're you're definitely fine. You're completely fine. Like, don't worry about it. And um, I was just frustrated because I was sitting there like, well, why didn't you say something? We were in a big group. Like, why, why are you telling me privately? Call it out. Call these things out. <laughs> so a year later, um, I get a text from someone who was in that group with me who had got inspired with everything going on and um, started learning more and educating herself and came across um, uh, some text about the stereotype of the angry Black woman and how our society just pins that on lots of Black women and it's not true and how that manifests and what microaggressions are. And she realized how complicit she had been in that Um, attack of someone she considered a friend. And when she texted me and and wanted to chat about that, it wasn't this apology for racism, this big grand thing. It was an apology for something I specifically allowed happen to you. And for me, I felt like the reason why that was so positive, I feel like everyone's intention was to take their own accountability and say that they're going to try to combat systemic racism. But she took it a step further in identifying things that she might have done personally and not being afraid to say, I was wrong in that moment and I'm guilty of this too. And I'm going to let the person know that was harmed in that situation, even if they're over it, that I recognize what I did wrong. Um, And I will work to not do that again. And I think that her level of honesty and accountability is what really made that conversation go well and like really kind of give me more optimism to have more conversations with other people after that. I'm an MD MBA student. So uh, the business school hosted a virtual meeting about what was going on. (laughs) Um, And they sent out pre-readings and videos and we broke, we did breakout rooms and I helped facilitate one of those breakout rooms And the conversation was great and it gave me a lot of hope, but a big piece is that everybody did a little bit of work ahead of time. They read something or they watched a YouTube video on systemic racism. And that helped a lot in this conversation that we had, but everybody also just came with an open mind and they felt, I I led with, this is a place where it's a safe place and you're not always going to say the right thing, but we're here to learn. And I think that helped a little bit, but everybody came with an open mind and some work already done. Um, And that's what, what I think ultimately made it positive. 
Uh, I think one conversation that I had, I'm trying to think, I've had a few, was, again, I think at that same uh, event that Deanna's mentioned, because I'm also an MD MBA student, and one of the things that I spoke to in attending a few uh, days before that event, I was on cardiology, and uh, this attending said, we need to not just see people how we see them, like, one of the things that that event someone said to me, I see you, when I see you, Dukoye, I see you as a man. But the attending said, we need to learn to see people how they see themselves. And I was like, well, you may see me as a man, but I see myself as a black man. And so my perception of self interacting with the world is very different from how you perceive me to be interacting with the world. And I think it goes back to what Ciara is saying there if you're not aware of how people perceive themselves or how um, stereotypes in the world are placed on them, it gets very complicated. And so uh, when that attending said that to me, I thought that that was so powerful because he had done the work. He had done the work and read a bunch of books and was like, there is no way that we as healthcare providers can actually begin to deliver culturally competent care unless we start to see people how they see themselves. And unless we understand that, you know, if you're poor, if you're black, if you're brown, these systems were not built with you in mind. And so what we do when interacting with those patients is going to look very different for someone with a lot of resources who oftentimes is white and upper middle class and things like that, or middle class, um, and I'm not saying everyone is like that, because obviously people come from all different spaces, but it just looks different in how you interact and what resources you can give them. And, and I thought that that was super powerful for me. Yeah. So if I can summarize some of the characteristics that made these good conversations. So people doing work ahead of time, so they're not relying on you to provide all of the background information which is an additional burden, right? Everyone being open-minded is obviously very important. Honesty, personal accountability, and then that sort of person-to-personal level interaction where you're really talking about personal or um, specific events that happened. So one conversation that I had recently, I was asked by a colleague how often I think about these issues with you know racism and systemic racism. And I had a hard time answering that question because I I don't know how to quantify the thoughts. And so my response was, well, you know, I may not think about it consciously every day, but subconsciously in my interactions outdoors, I'm always making sure that I am not appearing aggressive. And that's like a constant subtext to my existence, right? Anytime I'm outside of my house. And so how often do I think about it? I don't know. Is it a thought or is it a it's just sort of a way of being. And, and what made that conversation, I think, powerful was was that um, there was real learning that happened because I don't think that that person had sort of thought about that idea before, that it was not discrete thoughts, but it's it really is sort of your existence in the world and, and it's a different way of being. So um, that learning, I think, is what made that a positive experience for me. So I guess our last question here is, um, sort of an aspirational question, but what are your hopes for the future of race in America? And, and how do you think that you can work in your career to make that future happen? That's heavy. <laughs> what it looks like, I think that your health, your wealth, your whatever outcome you measure will not be impacted by your zip code. 
because we know we live in a very segregated society, whether that be through education, through housing, you name it, in every which way we are a segregated society. So until we can get to a place where it doesn't matter what zip code you come from, doesn't matter what uh, your parents made, it doesn't matter what they were, you can literally be anything. And I don't even know what that looks like because it just, I've never seen it. But until we can get there where every child, you know, gets great education, can go to college if that's what they want to do, can, can become a physician if that's what they want to do, that is where we go. And what am I doing about it? Well, oh man, that's a lot. I've been doing a lot. I won't name all the stuff that I've been doing, but I'll just say this. I'm existing in the world as a Black man, and that in itself is doing a lot. And I'm speaking up when and having conversations about the world that I would like to see, so... It's a, it's a start. It's definitely not enough, but we could always be doing more. I think about this question a lot. You know, as my wife and I start the process for building our family, my hope for the future is that our children can exist in this world safely and be allowed to be children. And then what am I doing career-wise? This summer, I'm getting to internship with a global pharmaceutical firm in their health equity and population science department, working to advance inclusive research and diversify clinical trials to better represent patient populations. And as I next year start residency uh, in neurology, I hope to continue this like health equity work um, to make sure all patients are getting excellent care And specifically in neurology, there are a lot of racial disparities that exist um, and a lot of research that isn't done into those into those disparities that exist. So my future looks like a mashup of 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 that neuro healthcare equity disparities. There's a lot of work to be done. And like Dequay said, I think by having these conversations and existing and calling it out, we're doing a lot of work now, but there's so much work to be done. For me, it's uh, put your money where your mouth is. You know, it's it's a lot of, you know, you look at probably diversity, equity, inclusion office, they probably have some of the smallest budgets and um, there's they're the afterthought, right? And so, because this work is not... It's a lot of investment work. It's not a lot of, you don't, you can't make a profit off this work. It's a lot of building and building. And um, I mean, there's many things that, you know, I love to see. Um, I think uh, one of the examples, like some students wanted to have like Black Lives Matter pins or, and they wanted to have like uh, LGBTQ plus pins just to put on their white coat, just to show solidarity. And I, I don't think we, we didn't have enough to do that. So I think it's a lot of it's a lot about where in your priorities of things is addressing systemic racism, making sure your black uh, students feel black students and faculty feel supported, and what what money, what you know, what funds are you going to give to those causes, and are you going to continue to shrink those funds year over year, or, or are you going to you know make sure that hey we cannot leave these efforts out of our, you know, our budget. Because I think what it looks like at different institutions is different, but it's clear that we all need money to do it, right? So, and I think even uh, Brandon said that like, you know, he's not getting paid for this work. He should absolutely be getting paid for this right now. Like this is a part of his day, you know? And so I think that, you know, 
just thinking, rethinking about how we fund this work and think about what value this work brings to our institutions is really, really necessary. Yeah, I think regarding the future of race in America, I would probably echo the Queen Diana all day. With healthcare-wise, just equity there, I would say systemic racism being a thing that we no longer um, live and exist in, honest conversations, accountability, like real change that's systemic, that's prevalent, that's palpable, like that we can actually say that that was a marker in time that actually changed everything and more optimism for Black people in America who don't have to go about existing in spaces and knowing that the color of their skin is already setting them behind on the starting line, even though they've done the same amount or or a lot of times more work than other people. Um, As far as my future, um, working towards that, I think that, like Dequay mentioned, just existing as a Black person, hopefully my future rewards the intersectionality that I bring to the table. So my career, I hope to just be able to continue the work that I do with like strengthening the pipeline, bringing resources to people that are resources depleted, funding, just existing. I think that ascertaining a lot of education and becoming a doctor is very highly regarded amongst a lot of different spaces. But for me, um, I consider myself Black Girl Magic, and I don't think that you have to have education for that. I think just being a Black girl is Black girl magic all in and of itself, um, and everything else is just bonus. So um, hopefully my future just looks like inspiring other people and impacting other people and also getting from the world all the positive things that I deserve. We want to thank Ciara, Decoye, Diana, and Dr. Alport Altio for contributing to this conversation. We are grateful for their bravery and appreciate the opportunity to learn through their experiences. Conversation is only the beginning, though. We each must take deliberate actions each day to fight systemic racism. To learn more about systemic racism, we recommend reading How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi and White Fragility by Dr. Robin DeAngelo. I'm Nick Smith-Stanley from the Livestrong Cancer Institutes, and this has been Cancer Uncovered. For more information on the Livestrong Cancer Institutes, check out delmed.utexas.edu. You can follow our director and chair on Twitter at S. Gail Eckhart. Eckhart is spelled E-C-K-H-A-R-D-T. If you have questions or have ideas of topics that we can uncover, email us at Livestrong Cancer Institutes at delmed.utexas.edu. Please make sure that institutes is plural. And if you like the podcast, make sure you subscribe. This has been Cancer Uncovered. Thank you for listening.